Welcome back to Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history, fantastic stories, and engaging personalities of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. Last week, we traveled almost a century into the past to visit a great Thanksgiving Day clash between Omaha Commerce, that would become Tech, and Cambridge High School in 1920, maybe the greatest game in Nebraska prep football history, at least in the pre-playoff system. Mather ranked it as his greatest Class C game of all time, which makes sense as the origin story of one of Class C's greatest traditions, Cambridge Trojan football. This week, I thought I'd continue to look at uh, a couple of other games that Mather's put up for consideration as the greatest prep football games ever. Mather considered the Gothenburg upset of Creighton Prep in 1945, which we covered in Episode 2 of Suiting Up, as the greatest Class A game ever. So I thought I would look down the list and check out his top Clash B clash. His pick is a late 1967 game between the Blair Bears and the Plattsmouth Blue Devils that he attended personally. The 46-40 final score and the offensive numbers put up that night sound more like a 2016 game than 1967, and it featured the high-powered Blue Devil passing attack of quarterback Max Linder, who threw for his 26th and 27th TDs of the year during that game. Blair countered with a 1-2 running attack with running back tandem Mick Rouse and Mike Thompson. Rouse matched Linder's two touchdowns and totaled 139 yards on 16 carries. Thompson had 130 yards, including big play scores of 35, 26, and 28 yards. It was a scoreless third quarter that doomed Plattsmouth, despite Linder's 333 yards passing and 67 more on the ground that night for an even 400 in total offense. Blair's win made them 9-1 on the season, but the scare knocked them off the top perch in the World Herald's ratings, and Aurora finished the year 9-0 and was named State Class B champion by both newspapers. The Bears did claim the Exarban Conference title that night. This shootout was a conference title playoff game, very common in the pre-playoff era. Blair represented the North Division of the AC, where they had topped Wahoo, Ashland, and Ralston, as well as soon-to-be Class A schools Papillion and Millard. Plattsmouth had won the South Division over Syracuse, Nebraska City, Falls City, and Auburn. Linder's gaudy passing statistics couldn't get him onto the first-team All-State lists in 1967. Interestingly, it was a similarly named passer, smashing Metro Conference records at Creighton Prep, Brian Lindstrom, who was the All-State quarterback in both papers. The most familiar name on the honor teams is the six-foot, 190-pound runner from McCook, Jeff Kenny. This week, across the state, basketball jamboree games were played to benefit the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. These scrimmages help teams prepare for the season, and they give fans some matchups, especially big school versus small, that they otherwise wouldn't get to see. But most importantly, the money raised goes to support the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame in Lincoln honors the past in order to inspire the future. So when you plan your visit, and you need to plan your visit, make sure you take along a young person. 
while you are relieving great, reliving great moments of Nebraska high school history. That youngster will hopefully find inspiration for things they want to achieve in the future. The Hall of Fame is open Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And remember, it's always free. Mather's number two all-time best Class A game is likely the greatest tie game in Nebraska history, and it was also a late 1960s conference playoff game. In 1968, Fremont was undefeated and the champion of the East Big Ten and had been ranked number one all year. In even-numbered years, the East champion was the host of the Big Ten title game, so 6-3 and three Scott's Bluff had to cross the state to play at Fremont. The Tigers held a slim ratings lead over Lincoln High, which was also unbeaten, but had opened the season with a surprising 13-13 tie at Hastings. Fremont was favored to win the Big Ten title and the mythical state ratings crown at home in front of 8,000-plus fans on a late November Friday afternoon. Scott's Bluff, though, had other ideas and took an early lead on a 77-yard punt return by Rick Dowell. Things soon returned to form for number one Fremont as they controlled the middle two quarters, scoring twice, the first on a long bomb to All-State end Dan Anderson. The Tigers looked about to take complete control of the game as they drove all the way to the Bearcat one-yard line in the third quarter, already ahead 14-7. But the Scotts Bluff defense made a goal line stand and turned the tide again. The Bearcats then drove 99 yards, most of it on a 52-yard pass from Ton Engelman to future Husker star Frosty Anderson and tied it up 14-14 midway through the fourth quarter. And that's when things really got wild. The Tigers did what a state championship team needs to do. They drove the ball the length of the field and punched in a one-yard run with just 41 seconds left on the clock. Even when the PAT went awry, all looked set for the Tigers to finish number one for the first time since their 8-0 1951 state championship season. Fremont's only other unbeaten years in school history have been 3-0 in 1903 and a couple centuries ago in 1899 when they were 8-0. But Engelman and the Frosty One, son of Scotts Bluff Hiram Scotts College's legendary basketball coach, Forty Anderson, had the best passing attack in Class A, and they started moving the ball down the field in what the Lincoln Journal called, quote, the precision of a pro team in the last two minutes, unquote. The Bearcats had returned the kick to the 41-yard line, so that was a pretty good start. Then Engelman hit a screen pass, then hit Anderson, and then hit Craig Scott on passes to move the ball all the way to the Fremont 17 with 12 seconds left in the game. Scott's Bluff coach Les Lee called for Anderson to run an in-and-out double-move pattern that the Westerners hadn't used in a game all year, and Engelman dropped the ball in his star's hands to tie the game at 20-20. The Bearcats were a point-after touchdown away from the year's biggest upset. Instead, their kick also went wrong. The Big Ten title was split in half, and the state's newspaper men had a tough riddle to solve. Fremont and Lincoln High were now both 8-0-1, and they hadn't played each other head-to-head, obviously. Their schedules yielded few clues. Both teams had defeated 6-3 Grand Island by about a touchdown, and both had trounced Lincoln Southeast and Pius X by almost identical scores. 
The Lynx had handled Lincoln Northeast a bit easier than the Tigers had, but the Fremont tie against the Bluffs looked a lot better than Lincoln's deadlock with 4-3 and 2 Hastings. To make it more confusing, Fremont had killed Hastings, but Lincoln High had downed Scott's Bluff with no trouble. Both the Omaha and the Lincoln Papers broke the tie in the same way by pointing to Lincoln High's win over Metro champion Omaha Westside, a team Fremont hadn't played, and a win the Tigers' schedule couldn't match. It is the last state title in Lincoln High's long football dynasty, which had basically lasted most of the 20th century. It was the fifth ratings crown for High since 1941. They won in 41, 51, 52, 55, and 68. And the Lynx have been rated in the final top 10 in 21 of those 28 years. We talked in our 1945 and 46 episode about how the Lynx didn't really bat an eye when three suburban schools consolidated to form Lincoln Northeast in 1942. High only missed the football top 10 once in the entire decade of the 40s. There were a couple more chinks in the Link armor when Southeast opened in the mid-50s, as they missed the final ratings in 56 and 57, and then for three years from 60 to 62. But it seems to be the opening of Lincoln East in 1967 that finally brought the old school in the shadow of the Capitol building back to the pack. The Lynx would be rated in the final top 10 in 1970, and then not again before the playoff era kicked off in 1975. The Lynx wouldn't even qualify for the postseason carnival until 1990, and their only playoff wins in school history happened in back-to-back weeks on a run to the finals in 1992, where they ended up losing to crosstown rival Lincoln Southeast 17-0. It is, of course, Southeast, which has been the dominant big school team of the playoff era, as Lincoln High had been during the ratings era. But in November of 1968, for one last time, thanks to Frosty Anderson and his Scotts Bluff Bearcats, the Lynx were the Nebraska high school football champions. In the locker room after that game, Scotts Bluff coach Lee told the Journal that Lincoln High coach Andy Lohr was there to congratulate him. Quote, he's probably almost as excited as I am. Until next time, This has been Suiting Up Varsity. Have a question or a comment for us? Connect with us on Twitter where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity. Or comment on Facebook at facebook.com slash SuitingUpVarsity. Or you can email me at gmaze at hhstigers.com. Suiting Up Varsity is written and produced by me, Greg Mays. Thanks again to Tate Mays for research assistance and technical help, and to Chris Shukai for broadcasting advice and encouragement, and to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history, for the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the flagship show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2016.